More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to Survivor Sanctuary. I am Kelly and I'm so glad that you're listening to the podcast. Thank you for joining me, and I think it's going to be a great episode today. It's been a little bit of a rough week, so I'm just going to lay that out there here in the beginning. It's been a rough week, not just like in the news with the crazy tragedies going on, uh, but also in the personal lives of some of the people that listen to this podcast and who are on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook page. And uh, even in my own life, um, a really great man passed away this week. Coach Joe Oliver went to his funeral uh, today, in fact, and said goodbye. He's a person that worked with me at the radio station. We kind of just saw each other, you know, coming and going. We would get to talk sometimes. And Coach Joe, man, he loved to harass me about my love of the Ohio State Buckeyes because obviously he's a Hurricanes fan being in Miami. And uh, he was just an awesome person and also an awesome person person who usually had a box of donuts to share wherever he went, which always made me very happy as well. But um, it was rough. You know, it's it's rough. He lived a fantastic life and, and just impacted so many people. And he lived a long life. And, you know, so many people have been impacted by him. It's just crazy to think about it. He leaves quite a legacy. But it's always hard. You know, it's hard saying goodbye. It's hard losing people that you care about. And, you um, you know, even just in the news. And it's a little bit difficult for survivors to process, I think. Um, you see like Kobe Bryant and the news with him and, and what, you know, happened, just the tragedy that struck his family and, and some other families as well. It's just one of those sobering reminders of how short life is and how little time we actually have. And it's just like a reminder to me, especially this past week, I've just been thinking about it over the last several days. And I mean, really, probably since last month, when I unexpectedly lost a really good friend of mine, uh, it's just like those thoughts that come to you, like, what am I doing? And what is it about life that actually matters that I should be focusing my attention on? And so those thoughts have kind of been rolling around in my head. And then we had uh, one of our awesome Survivor Sanctuary Facebook groupers, Rachel, who lost a, a family member, very important to her this week and just in the last couple of days. And she's going through a rough time and my heart's just been breaking for her. And it's just put this thought like at the forefront of my mind, life is so short and you never know when you're going to take your last breath. And I'm not trying to be a downer and I'm not trying to uh, be depressing at all, but it's just something that I'm being completely honest. That is just at the forefront of my mind right now. You don't know if you have tomorrow. You don't know if you have the next day. And so a question that's just been in my mind this past week is what do I want to do with my life while I have the opportunity to do it? And the one thing that I keep coming back to over and over and over again is I want to continue to speak out and speak up 
for the abused who can't speak up for themselves for whatever reason. Uh, when I think about, you know, when I'm gone, the impact that I want to leave and what about my life will actually matter when it's over. I think that that is just the biggest thing for me. I want to be able to continue to speak up for survivors of abuse. And I want to be a part of the solution, a part of preventing sexual abuse and also helping people to heal uh, once they have been abused. And that might not seem like some big, lofty, important life goal. It's not like I'm setting out to be the queen of a country or (laughs) to be world famous or anything like that. Maybe it seems like a small goal. But when I think about the people who have impacted my life the most, I have to say that my biggest heroes, 100%, are those who have stuck their necks out for me and spoke up for me when I couldn't speak up for myself, when I just didn't have the energy, when I didn't have the strength, when I was too broken, those people are the people who have had the biggest impact on my life, hands down. And so I wanted to take today's episode to talk about those people. Sometimes when we talk about sexual abuse, we can be accused of being super negative. Like, you know, survivors and advocates, we we always can point out what's wrong. And sometimes people just want to hear like, okay, well, what's right? Is there anything positive you can talk about? And I mean, I'm laughing a little bit, but I'm also not going to apologize for the fact that talking about sexual abuse is negative. Because gotta say, if you've experienced sexual abuse in your own life, you know, it's negative. Sexual abuse is a terrible thing. There's no way to candy coat it to make it more palatable for people who want to be positive all the time. So I'm definitely not here to apologize for the negativity because unfortunately, the only reason that we do what we do is because of how negative the effects of sexual abuse are. And um, by speaking up and speaking the truth about it, which a lot of the time is just very, very negative. Uh, We hope to combat it a little bit. We hope to prevent sexual abuse. And we also hope to help people heal from sexual abuse if they've experienced that. So not apologizing for the negativity, but I do want to take today's episode to focus on something very positive. And Rachel's post this week in the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group did help to kind of spark this episode, but not necessarily just because of the post itself, but because it got me thinking about, you know, like I mentioned, what do I want my legacy to be? And what is it that I want to do that I think is super, super important? And that's going to have a lasting impact that when I'm gone and I can look back and say, like, these are the things that I'm proud of. And these are the things that I'm glad that I did. I think that fighting against sexual abuse and fighting for survivors of sexual abuse they're definitely going to be at the top of that list. And um, well, in Rachel's post, she shared that, and I'm, I did not ask Rachel for permission to talk about her story in depth or to share details. And so I'm not going to do that because it's her story to tell. But the person that she lost this week is a person who was basically her rock uh, when she had to come forward about being abused and the aftermath. And Rachel's story, I, I really hope we can share on the podcast at some point because it's both a really tragic story, but also it is a story of somebody who has just a lot of strength and a lot of courage. And I know that you would be encouraged by Rachel's story. 
But the person that she lost this week is somebody who really went to bat for her and somebody who had a lot to lose by doing so. Someone who very easily could have just said, you know what? Um, this is too negative. I can't get involved in it. I don't want to lose friendships and I don't want to lose my reputation. And you know, the list could go on and on, but instead of taking that way out, um, this person really stood beside her and was her rock and stood up for her when it came at a cost to him. And it just did. And you know, when she was talking about this person, I was thinking in in my own life and in some other survivors lives, like when you hear their stories, there are always those people who are kind of like the rock and the people who just stand up and speak out for survivors who can't speak out for themselves. Maybe we've just lost our voices because we've been trying to speak out for too long and we don't have any strength left. Maybe we're just at a point in our healing where we're broken and we feel like we can't. But these people have kind of like stood in the gap. And on this episode of Survivor Sanctuary, I want to celebrate those people. And at the same time, I want to talk to you about what it takes to be one of those people. Like, how can you be a hero to survivors of sexual abuse? And when I say hero, trust me, I don't mean like you're going to feel like Superman wearing a cape and, you know, flying around and people celebrating you for fighting crime. Like, it is a very thankless kind of a hero, but you are a hero to survivors when you stand in the gap for them. And I wanted to talk about that this week because it's something that is decidedly not negative at all for survivors. It's actually something that's very positive. And if you're wondering, like, how can I support survivors of sexual abuse if you're not a survivor yourself? And how can I advocate for them? How can I make things a little bit better in their world? And the way that you can do that to be a hero to a survivor of sexual abuse is just what I want to talk about today. So in my own story, I know that I've mentioned a couple of people who are influential. I've mentioned my sister a few times because she was really one of the first people that I told about the fact that I had been abused. And she immediately took on this like fierce protection of me. And I was kind of in this phase when I first came forward, like apologizing all over myself for causing trouble and feeling like I wasn't worthy of any kind of support or justice and just kind of having that just sense of unworthiness. And in my sister's voice, just in listening to me talk and in the way that she responded to the things that I said, made such a world of difference. And I still remember very specific things that she said to me. I still remember her anger at some of the things that were said to me and that were done to me. And I couldn't even access my own anger for those situations. You know, it was like, you have so many things you're dealing with as a survivor. And when you heap those feelings of like unworthiness on top of it, it's almost like we don't have the ability to be angry for ourselves And that's definitely where I was at when I first began telling my story. And I still have a little trouble accessing um, those feelings for my own story, but I definitely feel that way when other survivors share their stories with me and my blood just starts boiling. And it's like, I want to move heaven and earth to make it stop whatever's happening to them, the people who are doing terrible things to them. And I have these like overwhelming feelings and I'm taken back to the people at the beginning of my story. And even up to this point who have just been such an encouragement and who like in Rachel's case have just been a rock to me. 
And that's one of the reasons that I always kind of cringe when people get this wrong. You know, when somebody discloses abuse and, and people are just kind of like patronizing and condescending and they're essentially just, you know, this is a bad thing that happened, but what you need to do is just leave the past in the past and move on. And what you need to do is just forget the things that are behind because that's what the Bible tells you to do. And you just don't think about it anymore. Forgive, forget, move on. And boom, you're healed and you're whole. And like, you know, not to mock, I did quote some scripture, but people quote that scripture wildly out of context. And it's super frustrating. And it's so easy to be one of those people and if you're a survivor of sexual abuse who's come forward, especially if you've come forward within the church about your story, you know those people, like there's a lot of them, and you run into that over and over and over again, and it's super discouraging. But those people in your life who will just get angry for you, I can't tell you how healing that is. You know, I could go to 10 therapy sessions and hash out my feelings and talk about what's going on in my head and what's going on in my heart, what I feel and think and, and all of that. And those are good things. You know, therapy, I'm all, I'm all about it. I think it's great if you can afford it. But 10 therapy sessions cannot compare to the healing that I would feel when somebody would stand up for me, when somebody would stand in the gap for me, when somebody would say, you know what, what happened to you is not okay. And what people are doing to you now that you're trying to come forward it's not okay. And so when I was having difficulty accessing those feelings, the people who were there like validating that what I was feeling was acceptable and that what I was doing to try and prevent other people from being abused was the right thing to do. Those are the people who I will never, ever, ever forget as long as I live. And those are the people who will forever be my heroes. So I mentioned my sister, she was one of them. And really, I would call her to vent and I just remember sometimes she's like, this is your story and I would never butt in and I would never like you say anything you didn't want me to say. But if you said the word, I would take this guy down and I would tell everybody what he's done and it's not right. And, you know, she would get so angry on my behalf. And I just remember like I would j just this feeling, not even like numbness, but kind of like a tingling, like I can't access that anger but it's a, an amazing feeling to know that somebody is angry on my behalf. And I think that because for a lot of us, when we were young and if you were abused as a child, maybe you disclosed, maybe you were never able to, but there's that sense of you're on your own. You know, you can't share the secret because it's too shameful. Or if you do share the secret, it is badly mishandled and people don't know how to respond well and you're not given mercy and grace and compassion and empathy instead you're kind of met with people who really wish you'd never said anything and a lot of people have been just really hurt both emotionally and physically in the aftermath of disclosing abuse so we get used to that you're on your own and you can't speak up and none of your feelings are valid. And so when you have someone who is just willing to listen and to look at you and say, there is nothing wrong with you speaking up. In fact, it's the right thing to do. Those people worth their weight in gold. So my sister was one of them. And I remember when the pastor of the church that I disclosed to had asked me to share a description of sexual abuse. I got so kind of, I don't want to say I was freaked out, but I just was shamed. I felt this sense of shame, like I didn't want to share the story. One, because it's a description of 
the worst thing that ever happened to me, you know, and I didn't really want to share it with the whole universe. And so there's that sense of shame, like this is something that I've kept close and I've just kept in inside and kept to myself for so long. And now I'm going to have to share it with people. So that kind of evoked this feeling of shame. And at the same time, I remember just being fearful, like, what if they read this description of abuse and they don't think it's bad enough? And I remember that being a big fear of mine. Like, what if they read it and they think like, well, it could have been worse. You know, he could have done so many worse things to you. And or what if they thought it didn't happen enough times? And maybe I shouldn't be mad because, you know, he only abused me two or three times instead of like 10 or 20. You know, I just all of these fears in my mind. And I remember getting out my phone and texting my uncle, who is a marriage and family therapist and psychologist, my uncle Steve. And I just texted him and I'm like, hey, you know, if you have a chance there's something I'd really like to run past you and, and to talk to you about. And, uh, you know, he was right there for me. He called me. I talked to him about my story. He listened and he was so validating. And I actually sent him the description of my abuse because I kind of wanted him to, to read it and to make sure that it sounded okay. And that like, I wasn't stupid for handing it over to them. That was invaluable to me. It was like, if I had an issue and I wasn't sure exactly what to do, you know, I'd spent my whole life being on my own and handling this story on my own. And then when I needed some support and when I needed some help, he was right there. And so he's another person that was definitely one of the heroes in my story. And he went to bat for me with the mission board and the pastor of the church that I disclosed to, uh, because they really didn't handle the situation super well. They handled it better than some churches and some mission boards handle it, but there were just so many frustrating things. And I remember, and I think Rachel may have mentioned something about this as well. Part of you wants to just buck the whole system and be like, you know, I understand you're a fundamental Baptist church and you don't want to hear a woman speaking up about anything because that's just not the way. And you kind of want to fight against that and be like, brah, feminism and all that stuff. But you kind of realize at the same time that you're not going to change everything in one fell swoop. And when you're trying to come forward, sometimes, unfortunately, it does help to have somebody who is the right gender to talk to a certain uh, audience of people who might be more receptive to them. And so my uncle stood in the gap for me there as well. And he never took over anything. He always told me that this is my decision, that what I share is my choice, and that who shares it is my choice as well. But he was willing when I wasn't able or when I was just so tired of feeling like my voice was less than because of the gender that I happened to be, you know, he was able to kind of step in and carry some of that burden, kind of be a mediator between me and this missions group that, to be blunt, made me feel inferior. And I don't think that my story would have turned out the same if I hadn't had him to help me. That's not to say that I could not have disclosed without any outside help that I couldn't have gone through this, but I'm talking about for my own emotional well-being, having someone that you know that you can lean on for support, having somebody that you know is going to be there for you and that when you're too tired to keep going, they're going to go for you. And that was completely invaluable to me. And just like with my sister and the way that she responded, uh, I will never, ever forget the help that he gave me when my story and what I was dealing with was just a little bit too much to handle. 
you know, it got overwhelming and I was trying to deal with my healing and just coming to grips with the fact that I had been sexually abused and that had it greatly affected me. I'm trying to deal with all of that. So my emotions were already in shreds. And at the same time, I'm trying to deal with this deep urgency inside me telling me that I needed to protect other girls from abuse. You get tired and you get overwhelmed and you get frustrated and sometimes you just feel so small and insignificant and that those feelings of unworthiness, they just kind of, they're hard enough to combat when you're in a very healthy frame of mind and you're emotionally doing well, but when you're not, those little monsters, they just kind of come and eat at you. And so having him there as an advocate, as like a mediator between me and this group, somebody who would just say, listen, it's your call. If you want me to say something, I will. And if you want to handle it, then I will support you when you handle it however you want. That was just amazing. It's not hard. You know, I I want to say like, you think of being a hero to a survivor of sexual abuse, and you might think that you need to do something crazy and insane. And Sometimes I want to do crazy and insane things like fly to other countries and punch people in the face who are child predators and who are receiving missions money from churches so that they can prey on children. Like sometimes I want to do extreme things like that, but I know that for survivors of abuse, the heroes are the people who not necessarily go and, you know, punch pedophiles in the face, although that is lovely as well. But they're the people who are just there for us, who are the rocks that we can lean on when we just really don't have anybody else to lean on. And our strength runs out when you're dealing with that kind of emotion, especially when you're disclosing and you're dealing with, some people are dealing with lawsuits, they're dealing with losing their whole church family, they're dealing with losing members of their immediate family. You know, if they're disclosing against a relative, they're dealing with so many things and it's so difficult. And when you have those people that you can lean on, it is invaluable. You don't have to do anything crazy. It's as simple as saying, you know what? What you're going through sucks and what you're doing is the right thing. And I want you to know I'm here for you. I don't know how I can help you. I don't know what I can do. All I know is that I'll do whatever you need. And if if that's giving you a hug when you need it, if that's speaking up for you when you just don't have the strength to speak up for yourself, whatever it is, I'm here. Those people will always be my heroes when it comes to my story of abuse And I remember as a little kid, I would fixate on kind of stories of being rescued. And they were a fixation really my whole life, even into adulthood. It was just this constant feeling of like wanting somebody to protect me and wanting that like protector who would not allow bad things to happen to me and who would speak up for me when bad things did happen to me. And it was just something that I fixated on. And I know now it was as a result of just feeling that lack of protection as a child. You know, I was abused. I went through a lot of different forms of abuse as a child. And I was sexually abused more than once and by more than one person. And you kind of get this sense that you're on your own and that you have to fight all your battles yourself. So that fixation for me was just that dream and desire that something would be different. And as an adult, those heroes aren't necessarily people who ride in on white horses, wielding knives and like saving the day. They're people who are just willing to get their hands dirty for you. They're people who are willing to say, you disclosed to me that somebody I love and adore is 
a sexual abuser. You disclose to me that someone who's a great friend of mine or a sibling of mine or an aunt or an uncle, whatever the case may be, you just disclose to me that this person I adore and who adores me and who I have a great relationship is a sexual abuser. Guess what? It hurts and it's difficult and it's going to be hard to stand up for you to lose all the people around me, but I'm going to do it anyway because you're doing the right thing and I want to be on that team with you. I sometimes refer to advocates who really speak out strongly for victims of sexual abuse. I I kind of refer to them as people who don't have skin in the game. And I always feel bad when I say that because the truth is they may not have been sexually abused themselves, but there's no such thing as somebody who doesn't have skin in the game when it comes to advocating for survivors of sexual abuse, because you always have something to lose. And that's one thing that makes sexual abuse advocacy difficult, because there are some things like fighting childhood cancer, where you don't have anything to lose, because nobody's going to look at you and be like, dude, you need to back off with your support of children with cancer, because, you know, we it's just, you're getting a little extreme, you're making some people uncomfortable, like that's never going to happen, because everybody's positive about that. But when it comes to sexual abuse, there's always a party involved that is being accused of the abuse. And there are typically many, many people who love and respect that person. And so there's no such thing as an advocate who doesn't have skin in the game. There's always something to lose. You can lose friendships. You can lose church families. You can lose actual family members, systems of support. There, there are consequences to speaking out about abuse and speaking up for the abused. And so I think that that's another reason that... I kind of view those people who speak up for us as heroes because for me as a survivor of abuse, I really don't have a choice but to be on the team that I'm on. (laughs) You know, it happened to me. I can't change that. I'm living out the effects of it. And so when I speak up, there's no way to candy coat. There's no way to not be kind of pointing the finger at the evil that was done to me. When you have an advocate who wasn't abused themselves, It is so easy to just look away, to look at something else, to be like, hey, oh yeah, I'm here for you, you know, to pat somebody on the back and act like you're supportive and then not really stand up for them when it counts. So I I think I want to remove that from my vocabulary from now on when I refer to people. I think I said when I interviewed Nicole Saylor a few weeks ago, I said something to her like, you know, you weren't a survivor, so you didn't actually have skin in the game. But it's not true because you look at Nicole's story and so many other people's stories and no, they weren't abused themselves. But the second they started standing up for somebody who had been abused, the second they started asking questions about abusers, they started losing things. So there is skin in the game for every single person who chooses to speak up for a person who was abused. And the fact that people choose to do it when they didn't experience the abuse themselves to me, speaks volumes about that person. So another hero of my story, when I first disclosed about being abused, call him D.A.B., Don Blackwell. I work with him. He's also an author, and he speaks out quite a bit on Twitter. I actually may link to his Twitter in the show notes today on the episode, but I work with Don at a law firm where we did work in the same office. Now we're in different offices, but I remember when I first was trying to figure out what to do about reporting my abuser, and I was kind of like, 
okay, I'm in a completely different country. I don't know what the laws are over there. I don't have any idea what to do. And I knew that Don dealt with advocating in some other arenas, not necessarily sexual abuse. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to ask him, I'm going to ask him for his opinion. He was the first person I said anything to in that law firm. And really one of the first people in my life that I said anything to at all, uh, aside from my sister about what had happened. And I was just starting to deal with this. And I had so many questions, and I wasn't sure what to do. And I just remember walking into his office one day, I didn't even know him very well. And I was like, um, Hey, I want to ask you something. And like, he's like, sure. You know, I, I shut the door and I sat down and, uh, you know, it was one of many conversations to come days that I just kind of needed to vent about what was going on and to share some of the emails I was receiving and just to get his feedback and also to just hear sort of the anger in his voice as well when he responded to what was happening in my story. And it was that same feeling like I can't quite access those feelings of anger. And I was always surprised in a very strange way to hear other people kind of like having an out of body experience. I don't know how to describe it otherwise, but it's like when you see someone being angry on your behalf and you are struggling to access those feelings for yourself, but it is an amazing feeling to know that somebody is angry about the injustice that was done to you. And I had quite a few of those moments with Don. And so I definitely consider him one of the heroes of my story as well. He didn't have to do a bunch, you know? He didn't have to get on a plane and fly 14,000 miles and be like, I'll take care of this situation, you know? He didn't have to do any huge thing. What made him and what makes other people heroes of our stories is the simple fact that they have your back that they will sit and listen, that they understand that what you're experiencing can be painful and that what you're doing and coming forward is the right thing. When I look back at my story, and I believe that this will be for the rest of my life, and I see those people that just stuck their necks out for me and stuck up for me, and I remember sitting in Don's office one day and, you know, I'm being the good Baptist girl, like never saying a cuss word. And I remember when he first used a strong expletive when referring to how the church was responding to my abuse. And I'll never forget how that felt. Not that, you know, oh, yay, cussing, (laughs) but just the fact that someone was responding in that way and understanding that what was happening wasn't acceptable and that I wasn't crazy and I wasn't the only person feeling that way. So we might hear about some of the major advocates for victims of sexual abuse, especially within the church, if you were abused in a church setting. You know, you hear names like Boz Chavijan and Jimmy Hinton, and they are amazing people who, Jimmy has been a huge part of my story, and he's another person that will always be a part of my story of coming forward about having been abused and of confronting my abuser. He's going to be a huge part of that. But sometimes we think, oh, I'm going to have to do something major. I'm going to have to be like Jimmy, and I'm going to have to have a podcast or write these massive blog posts or go around the country training people and being this awesome speaker that people could sit and just hang on their every word for hours and hours. And that's not it. Like if you're one of those people and you can do that and that's where you're called and that's where you excel, then fantastic. But the most impactful thing that those advocates ever did for me was not in huge, dramatic, 
grand fashion. It was in like a Facebook message on Messenger that said, yeah, these people suck and you're doing the right thing and they suck. <laughs> like just as simple as that, you know, somebody just having your back. And those were the moments in my story and in my journey of healing and in my attempt to come forward to protect other people. Those are the people that have had the biggest impact on me. There, there are many others. And so I don't want you to feel like if you've ever had a part of my story that, that I'm not remembering it. I, I assure you, if anyone has ever said an encouraging word to me, it's something that I hold close to my heart. But I just remember like that group of like four people, my sister and my uncle Steve and Don Blackwell and Jimmy Hinton. And sometimes I didn't have anybody else on earth who got it or who was in my corner or who had my back. When I didn't have anybody else, those people kind of kept me afloat as I started my healing process and as I came forward about having been abused. And if I didn't have those people, I don't know that I ever would have been able to do it. Like I really don't. And it's not that anybody was doing some miraculous thing that no one else could ever duplicate. It's just the fact that they were there. So if you've ever wondered how to be a hero to a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, that's really what it is. Just be there for them. Be on their side. Be on the side of justice and Stand with them when they need you to stand with them, whether it's to go to report, to go visit a lawyer, to confront a church, whatever it is they have to do, stand with them, believe them, and give them the validation that what they're doing is the right thing. It's really just having people standing in the gap with something as simple as, hey, if you don't feel like you can send this email, I'll send it for you. If you don't feel like you can go to this meeting and confront your abuser or talk to this pastor or go see this detective by yourself, then I'm going to go with you because I can do that. You know, I can't do much, but that's what I can do. And I can say with full confidence that those are the people who will always be the heroes in our stories. You don't need a suit of armor. You don't need a white horse. You don't need a big sword. (laughs) Sometimes we want you to have a sword though, because you get kind of feelings of violence at times when you're dealing with this stuff. I kid, don't ever use violence. It's always a terrible idea. But we just need people who are willing to feel that righteous indignation, that righteous anger, and to jump in and be there for us. So that's what I have for you today. And, you know, if you have something that you can add, I'd love to hear about it on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook page, or I guess I should say Facebook group. Um, Let me know, like, what is the most heroic thing that someone has done for you in the aftermath of sexual abuse or as you came forward and reported your abuse? I want to know, like, what makes a person a hero to you when it comes to your personal story? of abuse. And you can do that on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group, and you can find it on Facebook. Just search Survivor Sanctuary and request to join, and I will let you in. We just kind of do that for safety reasons. We want everybody to feel safe. And guess what? We are very, very close to 100 members of the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And the 100th member of the group is going to get a very special prize. So you got to join the group, Survivor Sanctuary. Look us up on Facebook and request to join, and I'll let you in there. And then let me know what makes somebody a hero to you, or maybe you want to talk about the heroes in your own story. I will catch you back here next time on another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then. 
Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.